Hello, welcome to Innovative Worship. My name is Johnny Freeman. This is my first attempt at a podcast, and I hope that it comes out well. I hope you guys enjoy it. What I'm attempting to do in this podcast series is to touch a little bit on some of the technological advances that are available out there for worship leaders, and some of you may or may not be taking advantage of them, I don't know. But I want to share a little bit about what I've learned uh, to give you a little background with me. I am kind of an ex-producer, engineer, ran a production company for about 12 years, did a lot of songwriting and arranging, uh, working with artists, programming, playing multiple instruments, and uh, coming up with some interesting productions. I have since kind of ventured into worship leading and actually been doing that for about the last four years or so. Uh, I've been really impressed with some of the uh, worship albums that I've seen uh, coming out in the last few years. Actually, the one that really turned me on um, to to modern worship was the original Sonic Flood album that came out, entitled Sonic Flood, and uh, just amazing production on that. I, I just was really impressed with that and about wore out that CD, playing it over and over again. I was particularly impressed with you know the loops and the type of production style that was used in that style of worship. They gave it a new, fresh kind of sound that really wasn't uh, prevalent back in that time. Uh, this was, I don't know, I, I guess five or six years ago. Since then, it's become kind of the norm with worship albums. Almost every worship album you hear out these days has drum loops and interesting uh, production values that were not traditional in worship. What I've noticed though in a lot of uh, worship groups, I've seen some amazing uh, worship bands out there with great musicians, but don't quite incorporate this level of technology with loops and sequences and and other sounds uh, into their music and are still doing things much in the more traditional style of production. And I think sometimes it becomes the fear of many pastors as well as worship leaders that maybe the, a sound might sound overproduced or canned, if you will. If, For instance, if you're playing with background tracks or you know a monotonous loop that plays over and over again, that it can be a little overproduced sounding and maybe take away from some of the flexibility and the freedom that worship provides to move around, to, to break it down, to lengthen the song, uh, things like that. So part of this uh, podcast series is going to touch on the music technology that's available out there and how to incorporate that into a worship setting without sounding canned or overproduced and make it very easy to manipulate, to control, and to get that larger sound, particularly with smaller worship groups which don't have you know, seven or eight members on the stage. Uh, Some worship bands are very small, only three or four members. And this type of techniques that we'll be talking about will give the band a much fuller, bigger sound and keep them kind of on the modern edge in their worship. The the other part of this podcast is actually going to touch on uh, some of the other advances in preparing music, communicating with your worship team, how to present kind of a multimedia approach to your worship time. I'm going to try to keep these podcasts uh, roughly 15-20 minutes apiece and try to put as much information as I can into it. Uh, Maybe some resources that I've run across on the web. Uh, I'll be uh, kind of throwing those out there to you so you can do some of your own homework. 
and probably recommending a few pieces of gear that I found to be uh, effective in a worship setting and different approaches to give you some options and how to go about getting the same thing with a big or small budget or simplified versus a pretty complex setup. So definitely I hope you like this series and give me some feedback on what you think of the series. If you have any questions, you can go to johnnyfreeman.podbean, that's P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com, and you can post a message there and uh, be glad to read it and incorporate any suggestions you might have into these podcasts. Please keep in mind this is more of a technical uh, type of podcast in regards to worship. I've seen a lot of podcasts out there that have resources for worship leaders, and uh, this is going to be more of a technical side of it to help you with some of the details in organizing and getting these ideas incorporated into your production um, for your worship time. The the first thing that I want to touch on, uh, just because I'm kind of in that mode right now, is uh, drums and percussion. I am currently supporting and backing up a worship leader at our church, a very good friend of mine, and uh, I am playing drums, percussion, triggering uh, some loops, uh, etc., uh, give you a, a basic breakdown of, of what I'm doing right now. I'm actually using an electronic drum kit. We found that uh, electronic kits uh, are a little bit more versatile for what we're doing. I know a lot of drummers are big into their acoustic kit. They love the sound of their acoustic and they they shun the idea of, of using electronic drums. And of course, electronic drums don't quite have the response and the direct feedback that you get from a live drum kit. But there are several advantages to it that we've that we found. Uh, number one is we don't have to mic the kit. We don't have to have four to eight drum mics set up using that many channels on the board, wiring them all up. You know, mics are not cheap anyway. Having a, a decent set of drum mics will run you, you know, hundreds if not thousands of dollars. Uh, a, a decent drum kit alone co- will cost you two or three thousand uh, dollars. Not to mention using drum shields, using you know, cages, uh, that type of thing. A lot of churches just don't have that budget or have the resources to do that. Yet they want a really good sound, obviously, in their worship. So the the shortest way to accomplish that is through an electronic drum kit. Um, granted, they're not cheap either, uh, but they will be more cost-effective in the long run in getting the sound that you want and the versatility that you want. You can actually go between, you know, 30-some drum kits anytime you want. So you can mix up the sound that you want. Um, and there's also several advantages as well in, in triggering uh, loops and that type of thing. What we've done, we've taken a, an acoustic drum kit and because of our church budget we kept it pretty tight. Um, we converted an old Pearl Export cheap three or $400 drum kit into an electronic kit using, elect, uh, using mesh heads and piezo trigger. Uh, kits that were mounted to the shells. So the whole conversion cost cost us a, a little over $100, $125 to convert a five-piece drum kit over um, using that. And if you do a little research on the web, there's a couple of guys out there. Uh, I think the, the, actually we got this kit off of eBay, I'm pretty sure. And it's a drum conversion kit. And uh, you'll get the mesh heads, you'll get the 
I mean, it's a very simple kind of cheesy looking mount, but they work. Uh, we've used it for over a year now successfully. And when you work with the dynamics a little bit in your drum brain, you can actually get the feel uh, pretty decent on it. It's, it's very functional. We're using live cymbals currently. Um, just haven't had a whole lot of luck with some of the pad cymbals as far as I'm concerned with feel. And the cymbals were able to contain a little bit more um, than the um, live drums. So we use an overhead mic to capture that and blend it in with the kit. We're using a stereo output on the drum brain so uh, we don't take up too many channels on the board and I'm mixing it just remotely. There's a little mixer on my drum brain. I have a couple of spare drum pads on the side that are used for triggers and those are used for triggering loops live. Uh, I found that uh, we've tried several things. We've tried background tracks um, using CD or MP3 starting loops, that type of thing, where you'll have a loop that will continuously play for, you know, five or six minutes um, and just hit play and follow along and play with it and then just stop it at the end of the song. Hopefully you don't continue on with the song and the loop runs out by itself. Um, that was not quite as effective for us as being able to have the control to start and stop it and obviously the drummer uh, would serve the best in that role to be able to um, control when the loops come in and when they stop. So um, it's very easy to set that up. I know it sounds kind of technical to some people, but you know, out of the box, an electronic drum kit will sound great. You just set it up, plug it in, and you can blend a little volume here and there and try a few drum kits and get a pretty decent sound. The, the sounds in there are you know, reco recorded in a pro studio under a contained uh, environment. They're mic'd, they're EQ'd, they're compressed, they're doctored to get the best sound. So um, they, they give you that really nice produced sound that you hear on record live very easily. Uh, there are several ways to trigger loops, several devices you can use. One of my favorite is the, uh, the Boss SP series. They originally started with the SP202, which is a, a tiny little box with eight pads on the front of it and a couple of audio inputs and outputs and you can sample straight into it and then just loop it and trigger it from the little pads on the front of it. It also has, uh, which I think a lot of people are not aware of, it has MIDI a MIDI input. Uh, MIDI, if you're not familiar with it, I don't know if you've used that technology, but it's designed to have one electronic piece of gear talk to another or control another piece of gear. Um, so I have a MIDI cable that comes out of my TD10 drum brain that goes into a Boss SP202 and I'm able to trigger the sounds that are in that from a drum pad and it's not real difficult it's very easy to to get that going with a little bit of tweaking and I found that that is the quickest way to to get loops happening in our setup um, obviously on the SP202 it's just a loop playback device so you have to get the loop from some type of source uh, a lot a lot of people get their drum loops from uh, loop CDs. You can actually go down to a music store, go online, uh, you can purchase loop CDs that will be either audio CDs or CD-ROMs that you can put on your computer with WAVE or AIF files on them and you know hundreds of different loops to choose from. Another way to do it is to program your own using a, a drum machine keyboard that has drum sounds built into it uh, or even recording your own acoustic drum kit uh, straight into it if you're set up in a recording type of environment.
what I do most of the time, uh, because I am playing as a live drummer, most of the loops that I have are effect type loops. So they're used as kind of an extra sound. The drum loops aren't necessarily there to replace the drummer. They're to add another dynamic. So you'll find that, uh, you know, if you listen to a lot of these records, the drum loops are always kind of modified with some type of filter or EQ or ambience or something like that to, to set it apart from what the drummer's doing. And it's designed to, to actually sound sort of artificial. So the, the goal is not necessarily with loops to make it sound exactly like a real drummer would. It's more to add a, a unique sound texture to your um, production. So you'll find that what you want to do typically is, is run it through a filter, EQ out the highs and lows and get a mid kind of radio sound going run it through a distortion, which we do um, sometimes, or run it through a reverb and get a big ambient type of sound. And then I'll blend that with my drum kit, and I don't want it to overpower my drum kit live. It's usually an effect that's kind of just below the volume of the drums. However, a drummer will need to hear, the, hear it fairly loud in the reference monitor in order to stay in time with it. We found that uh, being able to trigger these type of sounds on the fly is really the most effective. Um, you can bring it in in certain parts of the song, take it out in another, and have full control over that. Uh, we originally started out with just starting a drum loop, and we count off one bar, and then jump in and start playing, and then stop it when we're done. And it, it becomes pretty monotonous over a period of time in a worship service. It's actually kind of distracting. So being able to bring it in and out tastefully. Many people in the audience aren't even aware that we're actually triggering loops. If you do it right, it shouldn't stick out like a sore thumb unless that's the effect that you want. We do uh, you know, do breakdowns once in a while with a little drum loop happening. Uh, but to bring it in and out makes it much more enjoyable and less monotonous. My program of choice for programming drums is Reason. Um, this is a, a software you can buy that has a drum machine, synthesizers, samplers, effects, all in one uh, piece of software. So I'll have my laptop, my Mac G4 PowerBook, there with me during rehearsal times, and um, the worship leader will ask for a particular type of sound. We'll figure out a BPM very fast. I'll program it up on the fly, throw an effect on it, and then sample it into the SB202 and have it ready to trigger very quickly uh, in a rehearsal environment with a worship team. It's difficult to spend a lot of time tweaking, messing around with uh, drum loops when everyone's sitting around waiting for you to get your part done. So you want to come up with a way that's the most efficient for you to do that and to have as much control over that as possible. So there are several other ways to accomplish the same thing. I'm not going to go into uh, too much detail in this podcast. I'm going to save that for another podcast where we'll go over some variations on this same idea. But hopefully I got your mind thinking a little bit about the possibility of incorporating it into your worship. It has been effective for us. Um, if you use it tastefully, it will not be distracting. And it brings a new texture to the, the sound of the band, mixes up a little bit, keeps it interesting. And I think that you'll enjoy it. I encourage you to experiment with it, maybe in rehearsal, see how it goes. Try to get your drummer to play around with it a little bit and see how he likes it. 
Anyway, uh, that's going to be the end of this first podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. I enjoyed doing it, and I will have another podcast out shortly. If you have any questions or comments, please go to johnnyfreeman.podbean.com and leave your comments there. Until then, God bless. My name is Johnny Freeman, and this is the end of the cast.